0: Hello! Hey Simon! Hey Simon, it's Skylar! Hey Simon! Hello Simon! What's up Simon? How are you doing? Hey! Hello! Simon! Hello Simon! (laughs) (laughs) Hello Simon! Hi! Conversations with Storytellers Wisdom, Folk and Fairy Tales from Our Elders. A meeting with professional storytellers. After the passing of some great storytellers, I decided I wanted to interview some of the elders in the community of traditional storytelling. I wanted to capture their thoughts, their ideas, and maybe ideals in their own voices. Some will tell us their favorite stories. Others will share their thoughts on our profession. Some will give us glimpses of their lives and the lives of those around them, who their mentors and inspirations were or are. All of them share gems of wisdom Welcome to Conversations with Storytellers. Today you're gonna hear my conversation, my interview with Michael Parent. I have to admit, when I first met Michael Parent, I was intimidated by him. A tall, powerful-looking man, with a deep voice and piercing eye. Well, two eyes, but you know what I mean. I couldn't figure him out at first. Was he being serious? Was he being funny? I just couldn't tell. Over time, I got to know him a little better and found him to be a very warm man indeed, sharp as a needle and quick-witted. Kids love Michael, the same man that I was once apprehensive about. Michael is a very well-respected storyteller in our community and very funny. He is still sharp as attack and witty today, even though his challenge with Parkinson's disease sometimes slows his word choice down. This conversation, with Michael's permission, has been edited cutting out some of the silences as he sought out the right words. Please enjoy this conversation. Michael Parent, you are a French-Canadian descent, a singer, actor, and I see that you're... Is that a ukulele over there?
1: Well, the small one is a ukulele, yeah.
0: Okay, so you play stringed instruments. Yes. And a storyteller. You've travelled a lot. mm -hmm. An awful lot, both here and abroad, applying your craft... And you call Maine your home. You've been written up in Time magazine, which I thought was really cool. Uh-huh. And you have the National Storytelling Network Circle of Excellence award. Do mm. you get a plaque for that? Mm,
1: I, I think or,
0: so. Or is it just a piece of paper that says you're in? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it is. <laughs> um, and you've performed at UC Berkeley and at the Kennedy Center, as well as thousands of other places. You've written a book called The King of, of, of Kings and Fools. And you're also featured in a few anthologies, and you're also featured on Rainbow Tales Two, a CD of some great storytellers, which I've got. I actually I, I bought the second one, and then I got the first one. Oh. Um, so it's, it's really cool that you have all these accolades and stuff. How long have you been telling stories?
1: Um, let's see, since nineteen seventy-seven.
0: That's when you started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what what got you into that?
1: Um, I found that that, um, my students... I was teaching high school at the time. Okay. And I found that my students would listen much more to a story, uh, to a narrative... ...than they would listen to exposition.
0: Okay.
1: And um, I don't know. I I started making up stories, and I started making up... uh, Some of them were true. Right. And some of them were based on people that I knew, and uh, others were were just made up.
0: Okay. So what were you teaching at school? Um, eng- mostly English. Right. And that was your first job? Mm. Apart from a paperboy route, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. That's it. And, and where, where was this?
1: This was in uh, Boston, in uh, Cathedral, at Cathedral
0: High. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Where were, you, were you born in Maine or up in Canada? Where were you born?
1: Uh, Lewiston, Maine. Okay. And at the time, uh, Lewiston was uh, half, mm, pretty much half, um, half French. Okay. Pretty much. And uh, a lot of the people had moved down from Quebec to the United States to work in the mills.
0: Okay, because it paid better.
1: Yes, it paid it, it paid at all. Oh, okay. Because a lot of them uh, worked on farms, and you know how that can be. Right, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I was talking with Papa Joe the other day and his parents um, with the, the same kind of lifestyle. It was, they would work on their farms until they ran out of money. then mm-hmm. they come down into the States... They get a job in a mill, and then they come back up north, mm. back to their farm and stuff. Was that kind of like how it was with the old Well, just
1: they, 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 uh, they intended to, to move back, ah. but a lot of them didn't. Because, I think, be, because the family was uh, more important than moving. Uh, and I think that once, once the older kids... They had large families, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the older kids got settled and got sweethearts,
0: yeah,
1: uh, they didn't want to move back. They didn't want to move back. So in order to keep the family together, they would uh, the whole family would stay. And the, the father would work in the mill, and the kids would work in the mill if they could. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, there was no um, OSHA or... Uh, there was, there was right. none of that stuff.
0: Much more easy to travel between the two countries.
1: Yes, it was much more easy. And um, also, there was... Um, um, kids could work in the mills. And they would start them off as, as, uh, as sweepers or something like that. And they would be uh, claw doffers or whatever. And <clears throat> they, they would move up. As they as they get older right and I guess education wasn't wasn't a big deal
0: yeah I think yeah I, I, I get that feeling that it's the same in the UK as well really yeah the, huh. uh, yeah my, my grandfather um, he went to a grammar school um, but his father owned a mill up in Lanc- in Lancashire up and I think it was actually in Lancaster mm-hmm. it was a big cotton mill-huh and my grandfather After he'd gone to grammar school, he said, well, I want to be a manager now. And his father said, no, you'll start at the bottom, sweeping the floor like everyone else.
1: Yes, that's right. And
0: I think for the the average worker, education wasn't um, a
1: A big big deal. deal.
0: Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Hmm. So did your parents, were were they working in the mills?
1: Yes. Uh, My my grandfather on my mother's side was a supervisor. And so all of his kids worked in the mill. And, um,
0: and they started off sweeping the floor and all
1: that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, there, there's a story about uh, my grandfather. He was working in uh, a mill in Suncook, New Hampshire. And uh, a fellow named Collins um, was his uh, assistant, I guess. And, um, oh, there was a strike. There was a strike of the workers and and and, and in order to, uh, they were management. And in order to, um, they, they would go into the mill and there was nothing happening. Right. Because the workers were on strike. So my grandfather said to Collins, he said, do you know how one of these works? And he said, the looms. Uh, and he, he says, let's take it apart and put it back together. Wow. So you know how it works. And Collins later became, uh, in, in Lewiston, uh, recommended my my grandfather, Pop. I, I guess everybody called him Pop. Okay. And, uh, for some reason or other. And uh, maybe he had a lot of kids. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. But in any case... Uh, he uh, Collins recommended him for a job, uh-huh. and that's how he, he he moved his family to Lewiston because uh, they couldn't break the strike and uh, the the mill folded. Oh wow! In Suncook, New
0: Hampshire. Mm-hmm. That's wow. That's that's mm. it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've, your parents worked in the mills as well.
1: Yeah, uh, my father um, had asthma, Ooh. and um, from the mill work, from the cotton. No, I think he had it uh, before that. Okay. And one of the first jobs is. Um, it, anyway, it was it was um, it was in a room where there was a lot of uh, particles, a lot of particles uh, of. Um, from, from the, um, uh, from, from the cotton. Okay. And they had, they had a lot of moisture in that room in order to, to keep the, the dust from, from flying all over the place. And, uh, so he, that was one of the first jobs. I forgot what the, a carding room. Oh, okay. carding room. And, um. He started working in the carting room, and I guess his asthma got kicked in, and uh, he couldn't do it anymore. So he drove taxis most of his life. It's not a bad living. No, he did all right.
0: Yeah. 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 So, your who were the storytellers? Were there storytellers in your family?
1: Well, uh, there was a uh, no, there wasn't. Uh, <sighs> You know, uh, they, they, they resisted being called storytellers. Why? Because they would, they would, um, they would just talk. Okay. <laughs> they would just talk. They spun stuff. <laughs> they spun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, it was, it was a higher value to be a good singer. Oh. It was a higher value to be a good singer. I don't know why, and. Um,
0: so were
1: the singers in your family? Oh yeah, my father was, my, my father and my grandfather on my, my father's side were known as good singers. But everybody, when, when there was a family gathering, mm-hmm. this was before TV, before, uh, I, don't know, um, I don't know if it was before radio, but radio was a big thing at the time. There was a lot of um, choral singing. Uh, so somebody would lead the song, and and, and everybody would, would join in. No way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you were expected to sing a song, even if you didn't, if, even uh, if you didn't sing well. And and uh, they they would say, "Oh, that's Simon's song," <laughs> <laughs> and and you would sing, right. and, and, and even if you, you sang badly, it didn't matter. It,
0: it, That's so great.
1: But they were known. They were known as. Um, th- there were some people who were known as good singers.
0: Right, and but, Pops and your dad were. Yes. Two of them. Yes. And did so that. So did you get into? Did you use much singing with storytelling? I mean, I see here in your apartment that you've got. You got music out and your chords yes. and
1: everything, so yes. Um, I always felt like the the two of them went together.
0: Okay.
1: That the, the singing and the storytelling went together. Um, so I would I would start with a song, maybe after the first story I would sing a song, and a, a lot of the times it was a, a song that was uh, either French Canadian or uh, um, not not top 40 songs. Right.
0: Mhm. So do you do you did you or do you still tell Quebecois stories?
1: Mm. There isn't much of a market. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There isn't much of a market for that. Okay. And
0: uh, cuz I think I've heard you tell one.
1: Yes, that's that's that true.
0: Was, that was a while back.
1: That's true. Um there are some good stories and uh um As a matter of fact, the last time I told uh, was at at Sharnakee Knights. Oh, right. And that was when I decided that that was it for me because there were a lot of pauses, stories that I had told uh, a bunch of times. As a matter of fact, somebody gave me this book, and you know when you grab a book, if you find one or two good stories? Well, this book had... Four or five good stories in it. Nice. And I tried to learn them. Uh, I tried to learn them uh, all at once. And I found that it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Right. Uh, uh, the Princess of Tomboso would would, would uh, infiltrate uh, some of these stories, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, the the stories started getting mixed up. So I decided. That I would just learn, um, I would learn one of the stories, and I had it all figured out. I had it, and and. Can uh, see this book? Yeah, thank you. It's a good, it's a good book.
0: The Golden Phoenix, French-Canadian fairy tales by Marius Barbeau.
1: And Marius Barbeau was. Love the uh, cover. Yeah, he was good. Uh, Marius Barbeau was pretty much. The French Canadian equivalent of the Mill, uh, the Grimm brothers. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. And okay. he he was he, he worked for the um, the museum in Ottawa, and uh, one of his jobs as as the museum coordinator was to go around and get some stories and songs from some of these people. Right. Okay. So that, that became his living, and he he had a huge, much much huger than that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably
1: real to real, right? Probably real to real. Yeah. And uh, so he would go around and tape these people, and <clears throat> uh, he he went all over Quebec. <clears throat>
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah, and Good job. Marius M- 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 uh, Charles Barbeau. And there are libraries in Quebec dedicated to him.
0: I'll have to go up there and have a look. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna definitely uh, have to find that book.
1: That book came from from a, a lady who, who knew that I was French Canadian, and um, she found that uh, they were, uh, some some somebody in Chicago, uh, was about to throw it out. Ooh because there was no no, no market for it. Right. And uh, she, she said, Oh, I know exactly who will uh, want that. And she, she grabbed it, and, and next time she saw me, uh, I used to go to Chicago quite a bit, and I'm going to go uh, probably in July or August, uh, I don't know what jim may is supposed to set up something oh
0: nice uh, yeah I, I I like jim I've, I've only met him a couple of times but yeah um, he's a good guy he is a good guy
1: yeah he, my he,
0: conversations were short but he, yeah it still rivers run deep yeah and i think he's one of those types of people
1: yeah that's yeah. the impression i got anyway yeah, yeah that's
0: really cool i love chicago
1: yeah he's it's a wonderful city it is it is
0: yeah so, you, you said that you started telling, you making up stories about people that you knew. Mm-hmm. Do you tell much in the way of folk and fairy tales?
1: Um, at the time, no.
0: But you did do. Yeah. Eventually.
1: When, when I started becoming a storyteller, quote, storyteller, right. um, when I decided that that would be my living, I, I decided to, to look into Aesop's fables. And uh, I followed my curiosity, pretty much, um, Aesop's fables and French-Canadian folktales and uh, um, and some of the, And when you're a, you, you tell people that you're a storyteller, well, you probably know this, mm-hmm. uh, people will give you stories uh, automatically.
0: Right, yes, they do. Yeah, they do. They love to share stories. Yeah. I was at a school the other day and this kid showed, shared this story with me so I don't know if you've heard this one and it was the big toe but there was this complete other part to it oh is that right? yeah I, I recorded it because I, I was like hang on before you get started let's record this because it would be fun you know uh-huh. to hear it later and he, he told this story it's the big toe but this, this, this toe was eating people up so his parents vanished <laughs> and, then, and then he was worried and then the house vanished Oh, and boy. then he was just left and then then, like, he, he hears the big toe and then the next thing you know is that in the vacant lot where the house was there was a big toe and this small boy comes along and says oh I think I'll take that home <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'm like where did, did, you, did you know this story?" He said yes well it originally came from Spain but then it was transferred to France and I'm like is he pulling my leg you know this wow. is like an 8th grader Wow. I went to the teachers afterward and, and, and I said this is a variant of a story that I've know, know, you know, i never ever heard before and they were like well he's the kind of student that might be pulling one over on you <laughs> but I was, I was A, I was thrilled that I heard another variant and, and B, I was thrilled because he was trying to pull one over on me possibly uh-huh. I thought that was great I mean that he just came up with this story based on something that he obviously knew uh-huh. if it wasn't a, 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 a traditional story
1: yeah, well, so that's, that's how the folk process right, works.
0: Right, stories of the people, told by the people. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And uh, they, they change. They do. They, they, they change uh, from one teller to another.
0: It's true. Mm-hmm. It's very true. So you told mostly folk and fairy tales for the longest time.
1: I started making up uh, stories, and uh, what I did was um, I, I incorporated Juggling? Juggling? Yes. I, I, I learned how to juggle. Okay. And I, I started incorporating that. And I built stories around juggling themes.
0: Can you give me a for instance?
1: Um, yeah, for instance. Uh, here, here's a for instance. Um, a young lady, in order to save her, her brother, her little brother, from the Wicked Wizard of Wellington Woods... <laughs> has to perform three uh, three tricks. And um, one trick is the balls. Right. The other trick is the rings. And the other trick is... And they get harder and harder because uh, there are three balls and four rings and then the devil sticks, which are really hard to do. And so... That, that's a for instance of of. So you
0: taught yourself the rings and the balls and the devil sticks?
1: Mm, yeah, I took a few classes. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: For your stories, that's really neat. I yeah, like that. Yeah. I like yeah. that a lot. And mm-hmm. good reception, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kid, kids, and the thing I found about juggling is that some tricks look very hard and they are easy they are very easy and uh you don't have to do a lot of juggling in order to impress people it's true that's true
0: it is true yeah if you do it very quickly and do it really well people think you're a good juggler yeah yeah even if you know you're about to drop the first
1: ball (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true and if you drop it you just you, you you don't let it bother you yeah
0: yeah, yeah. It's like when you mess up a story, you just keep going and hope that the bit you missed out you can fit in later. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Without yeah. letting people know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it. That's it.
0: So you made up stories, and you and you also tell personal stories or tall personal stories.
1: Well, um, I guess I guess the the uh, thing that I, I uh, if 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 I specialize in something, right. It, um it was um stories that um, featured myself or um, fictionalized personal stories okay. so in other in other words rather than put myself in the story i would put a another character that's what i mean by fictionalizing it right
0: okay now do you what are your feelings about personal stories? Like, true personal stories, like the moth type stuff?
1: Well, I've heard a few of the moth things. Right. And um, I think it's it's wonderful yeah. that the narrative is being... Uh, um, ballyhooed. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think personal stories are, are, are a slippery slope.
0: Right.
1: Because... Uh, there are very few folk tales and uh, these have been around for thousands of years right. and they, they have uh, been condensed to a point where you know they're, they're just they're just very pithy
0: yeah I, yeah I, I don't know if it's something I thought of or it's something I heard somebody else say but they they liken folk tales to being... Like the the detritus that turned into the coal that was compressed, down to a diamond.
1: Oh, that's and, a good. And that's,
0: and that's what we that's what we've been given. We've been given these folk tales as diamonds.
1: That's a good. That's a good analogy. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Um, personal stories often give me the impression that the person is jerking off on stage.
0: Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard yeah. some really good personal stories, which you know create empathy. And mm-hmm. um, but I have heard those that are just—it's mm-hmm. like um, poetry slams. I used to go to poetry slams, and and some of those were just—I mean, mm-hmm. you sometimes you get this this beautiful story or this beautiful poem that's like really poignant and and you know you could relate to it, and 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 then mm-hmm. somebody would get up and and talk about something that you really didn't want to hear. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? yes, yes. and it's like really. You, that, is is that
1: what you're sharing with us today? <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's it. Uh, the best response I've ever heard to a personal story was Katie Rydell. Okay. Uh, she is a storyteller, and she's uh, she's around here, okay. and 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 not doing very much storytelling at all. But anyway, she she uh, after after a tell her from New York uh, a lady who uh, obviously didn't like her family okay and the, the whole the whole program was about her family and she was she was jerking off about her family right and so uh, one, one of the, the best the best lines I've ever heard was she owes me 200 bucks
0: Oh jeez.
1: That's what I charge for therapy.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
1: And and, and I think somebody uh, um, it's it's too easy with personal stories for somebody to do therapy on stage.
0: Yeah, I agree with
1: that. To to use the audience as their therapist. Right. And I I think the universal quality of folk tales is often lost in personal stories. Yeah. Um, and, um, I would agree with that. Personal stories, uh, I, I, I think that one, one of the reasons they're a slippery slope is that, in fact, they are, we don't relate to them. We relate to the person.
0: That's a good point.
1: We say, oh, that person is, is uh, she hates her family. Right. Uh, so if you hated your family, you identify with her. You identify with her. Right. But other than that, there isn't there isn't much identification or a lot of uh, universal qualities to it. Right. I get that. Mm-hmm.
0: I totally get that. Yeah.
1: mm mm-hmm. And and you you tell folk tales and um, I always relate to to um, to what you're talking about because it has a universal quality to it.
0: Right, and you can also envision yourself in the story, mm-hmm. which you can't necessarily do with a personal story.
1: That's true, that's true,
0: yeah. You can have empathy and you can relate to the person telling that story, that mm-hmm. personal story, mm-hmm. but when you're listening to a folk tale or a myth or a legend, or whatever, there's this part of you that wants to be in there, mm-hmm. either being the main character or watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's, in- yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Huh. So what lights up your eyes when you're telling a story? What gets you buzzed? <laughs> uh,
1: I think kids, uh, I, I seem to have a, a, a way with kids. And uh, it's been pointed out a few times. Um, but there is something uh, about a kid being totally lost in a story. Or a grown up. Uh, but it, it happens more with kids, I think. Um, I think that lights me up. Yeah.
0: I guess with kids they haven't they haven't had too many life experiences to, to close. I wouldn't say close, but narrow their narrow their field of vision, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Kids are still open to a lot more.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And um, uh, what what I, I particularly like is when. When uh, a principal or somebody in authority uh, says, "Watch out for that kid," oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, or or uh, the authoritarian thing, uh, <clears throat> and that kid happens to be the best listener yeah. to a story, yeah. and uh, and uh, Jay O'Callahan tells a story about. Uh, I don't know if he told you this, but. Uh, one time he was in a junior high, I, I, I don't know if he was in a junior high or a elementary school, but there were two kids walking uh, behind in the auditorium. And um, he, at first he, he, he was bothered by it, but I guess he, he realized that nobody else was bothered by it. So he just kept on with the story. And the the assistant principal came up to him afterwards and said, um, would you like to meet these kids? Uh, I, I I forgot to tell you that these kids don't listen until un, uh, unless they're they're walking or they're moving.
0: Oh.
1: So, wow. I don't know what, what their deal was, mm. And he said, would you would you like to meet the kids?" And as soon as he met them, uh, I guess one of the kids started telling the story. Uh, <laughs> nice. And uh, the other kid was filling in.
0: So the bits the other kid missed, he was picking up. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like that. And and, 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 and Jay
0: was overwhelmed, I guess. Yeah. But um, I don't know
1: if he told you that story or not.
0: Um, I, I don't remember him telling me that story, no. No. But, but Bill Harley has, I think it's Bill Harley that has a similar story. Mm-hmm. Um. this this kid that wasn't paying attention he was there for a a residential and this kid at the back just wasn't paying attention he Uh thought Uh and he didn't want to point him out and make him feel bad Uh he just let him do his own thing Uh Um, but then at the end of of the week when they were asking people if they wanted to tell stories this kid who didn't appear to be paying any attention whatsoever uh huh Stood up and said he had a story to share. Oh wow! And he shared this story about this dragon carrying his father off, and apparently he just lost his father to cancer. wow! And so he had been processing the whole workshop and the whole um, the whole process of stories. Wow! And created his own story to deal with his with his anxiety about his father being wow carried awesome. away.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I mean
0: mm. we. You know, I don't think we really, we see glimpses of it when, and, you know, when Jay sees those kids and how they've picked it up and how, how Bill saw that kid at the back of the, you know, mm-hmm. light up and get a connection. But we see that too little. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it happens often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just don't know that it's going on. And I think that, that whole folktale process mm-hmm. is so powerful that you get these kids pulling these stories together Mm -hmm. and finding Mm -hmm. themselves in these stories together yeah, and handling it from, you know, one step removed, Mm -hmm. which is a safe distance, I think. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like puppetry.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Puppetry is is one step removed. Right. And uh, so kids can take the story and, and, and use it for their own... Uh, their own purposes
0: right it's not them it's the puppet that's doing it
1: yes that's right
0: yeah yeah there's a, there's a lot of power to that what was your most unexpected joy what what so, so what kind of a, um, maybe an event happened or something that happened or somebody came up to you that, that just made your heart sing
1: the whole process of uh, storytelling is um, so um, fraught with um, with um, this kind of uh, energy. Yes. And um, I I think uh, w- w- uh, this 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 uh, goes along with uh, the person in the back. Okay. Um, I I've used this very uh, very many times. And uh, in workshops and stuff, and, and called Mr. Potato Head. Okay. And Mr. Potato Head is usually a, a guy, and he's usually older than you. And um, I I ha- I've had situations where Mr. Potato Head comes up to me afterwards and says with with the same expression on his face, uh, that was the best. Oh, uh, that was the best program I've ever heard. Good. Thank you. <laughs> and that... that I, th- I thought that was very brave of, of that person. Yeah. Uh, to do that. And uh, I, I, I guess that was the most joyful...
0: Someone that you didn't think was paying attention. Yeah. To come up and say that that was really good.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or um, or somebody that... that um, was paying attention, but seemed to be judging you. Right. And that, that's one of the things we can't stand is, is having somebody judge us. Right. Um, because it, it storytelling is so non judgmental. We hope. <laughs> mm, we hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's ch- I, th- I was doing a gig, and Meg Gilman was in the audience and I was telling this story and she was scowling at me the whole time through. The whole, you know, it was like a 60 minute performance. Uh-huh. And I think she was there with, with either a friend of hers or there was somebody else with her. So Meg Gilman was scowling throughout the whole performance and I thought I bombed and at the end, she came up and said, that was really great. And I was like, but you were scowling the whole way through. She says, no, I was just concentrating on what you were, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I had this like, you know, you know that like knot in your stomach all the way through? Uh-huh. It was awful. It was awful.
1: Yeah, yeah. People listen different ways. They do.
0: They do. And when I had that, after I had that conversation with her, when I saw people scowling in the audience, I was like, well, maybe they're just concentrating or maybe they can't hear well enough and I'll talk a little louder and, Uh you know, it's, (laughs) but yeah, that, that initial knot that I got with Meg was just like, oh, Lordy, not good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the thing. You can't take anything personally. No, you
0: can't. Otherwise, you wouldn't get up on the stage for
1: a, you know, and do this. Yeah, that's true. That's
0: true. What's the most rewarding work that you've done?
1: I think um, with teachers, um, it's been when teachers are really tuned in. Yeah, I get that. um, When they really uh, use the stuff that you give them. Right, the tools, yeah. Um, there was one teacher in Charlottesville, Virginia who, who two years later a- after I did a workshop two years later she said uh, she, was, um, she was the wife of one of the guys I played softball with so I, I oh. saw her quite often and she said uh, you know I've been using the uh, whatever it was since then
0: wow and I thought,
1: wow, you just made my day.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so great. Uh, so um, the feeling that you, you leave something there and it gets used um, and affects, affects a, a bunch of people. Right. Affects a bunch of kids.
0: Right. Well, obviously, because it's working. If, she, if it didn't work, then she wouldn't use it. Yeah, yeah. And that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, what's your what's your process when you go to learn a story?
1: Um, I, I learn it by osmosis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you rub the pages of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. How'd you
1: guess? <laughs> uh, no, I, I uh, expose myself to it uh, different ways. I write it down uh, in summary, or, uh, and I read it a whole bunch of times, and, um, then, then, uh, I hardly ever do this, but, uh, ideally, I would, I would, uh, tell the story, and this is one of the things I recommended in workshops. Uh, I would tell the story, and, um, Leave a blank space for the part that comes the next. Comes next.
0: So you big pause? Yes.
1: Okay. I would read it and not not say the words out loud. Okay. So that it would it would take about the same amount of time as as if you were reading it. Okay. And, and I would try to uh, put in when when the pauses came on the tape. I would try to put in what comes next.
0: Okay. hmm So you'd learn, you'd learn the story by scenes? Yes. Sort of? hmm In sections or something?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah.
0: then what would the next stage be after that?
1: Well, um, I, th- I think that the, the, the telling of a story is the best thing.
0: Yeah.
1: So you tell it to, um, you, you try it out. And you know when it's ready.
0: Yeah.
1: Or well, you try it out with 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 some friends or, or with your kids or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And um, you just tell it. And what is surprising in that in that um, process is that you remember more than you think you re- re- you would remember.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And it comes across. As um, fresh as well. Mm-hmm. So you you must have met a lot of storytellers. Three, uh, four, in the four. old days, yes. Right, right. Is, it, is there a storyteller that inspired you or that made you think about storytelling slightly differently to how you were thinking about it?
1: Well, uh, J.O. Callahan, I think, was um, instrumental in getting me to think of, of longer stories because he told some some really long ones. Yeah, he did. And um um her elbows bruise the air. Yeah.
0: Uh
1: what's her name? Edna Robinson. I don't the know. lady from uh, Harvard. Her elbows bruise the air. Oh, right, right,
0: right. Yes.
1: And uh anyway, uh that was a long story. And uh <clears throat> It, it encouraged me to do the longer stories, because once a, a kid or somebody is hooked on a story, they want to know how it comes out. Yeah. They, they want to know how it comes out, That's true. and unless unless you screw it up royally, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, they'll stay till the end. Yeah. They'll stay till the end, pretty much.
0: So you mentioned Jerry Callahan how many other stories like, is there a story is there another storyteller is, is there a storyteller living or dead that you'd love to sit down with and just swap stories or chit chat with and... I, I
1: regret I regret that, that I, I never went up to uh, in North Carolina uh, Beach Mountain was it Beach Mountain anyway Ray Hicks oh. he was supposedly a font of stories and the stories that I've heard about him, he's dead now. Right. But um, the stories that I've heard about him make me want, uh, make me uh, regret that I, ha- uh, that I didn't sit at his knee. Yeah. And just listen to these stories. And uh, once I got the, the, uh, the language, um, he talked, he talked very funny. And um, once, once, once you overcame the language. So this is
0: the dialect you're talking about.
1: Mm, yeah. Or his vernacular. I think it was a combination of the two. Okay. Uh, and, but um, the stories that I've heard about him since then. I mean, he would keep telling the stories, uh, and uh, he. He was uh, the embodiment of, of somebody who got it naturally yeah. and naturally put it out. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel that way. Duncan Williamson over in yes. Scotland. yeah. What What kind of advice would you give to a young storyteller, you know, in their 20s or 30s, who wanted to do this as a living or, or was bitten by the storytelling bug that wanted to tell folk and fairy tales? What would be... Um, some advice that you might give them? Don't. Get <laughs> don't? a <laughs> yeah, uh, job as an electrician, you'll have much more money.
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh, don't give up your day job. Oh, okay. The people that are most successful at storytelling mm-hmm. are people who, who uh, either have somebody working for them or they have um, another job. Moose is full of people that, that um, have other jobs and, and just enjoy the storytelling process. Right. And I think that... that um, I think the, the need to, to get, get work is counterproductive in the sense that um, I think the, the need to get work uh, I'm I'm comparing what it was at, at the time that I was flavor of the month, right? Um, and now, um, I think the need to to get work is counterproductive to to the joy of storytelling.
0: Yeah, I get
1: that. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you think
0: it's, do you think it's harder to, to make a living
1: nowadays? Yes, yes. I, th- I think it's harder to make a living because the schools have dried up. The schools have dried up and the libraries have dried up pretty much. Um, but I don't know. I, I, um, I've I refused more storytelling gigs in the past year or so. <clears throat> uh, things that... that um, Mostly I've done, I've, I've done local things. And I think, I, I think I'm going to do less of that because uh, I was starting to tell you about this, uh, this Shanaki Nights thing. Yes, yes. Yes, I started to tell you about that. In, in fact, uh, I, I found that, that there were a lot of gaps. There were a lot of, uh, as you can see, uh, memory lapses. Right. Aphasia is one one of the things of Parkinson's, um, w- one of the symptoms of Parkinson's, um, and I, f- I found that that um, at that point, I I was um, I, I decided to retire uh, because in fact uh, uh, it, w- it just wasn't fun, it just wasn't fun anymore. Um, as far as as this goes, I I, I got another job where I was uh, the caretaker for one of the people that, and I liked the job. I did it for about two years. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the job but I didn't like the place very much. It's just across the way here. It's a rehab facility and the, the client that I had lived there And he was a great guy, Uh, but I I couldn't stand going to that place at all. And when Monday rolled around, I worked Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I dreaded the first day that I would would go in. And I thought, hmm, I like Steve, who was my client, Mm. and... um, what, 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 was it, what was it about this, this place that, that drove me crazy? Um, and I figured out that it was, in fact, um, I was the only one uh, uh, other than the staff. Uh, I was the only one who was walking.
0: Oh.
1: And just about everybody had wheelchairs or um, uh, walkers or some, something like that. And um, I, I found it depressing as hell. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to die depressed.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't want to live depressed. Yeah, right. And so I quit that job. Anyway, uh, I, I, I thought, hmm, maybe I can live on Social Security. And maybe, maybe uh, after I quit that job, uh, my rent will go down. And sure enough, it did. Oh. A- and uh, my rent for this place is, is negligible. Um, and I, I I have more money now than I ever did storytelling.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I could never get ahead with storytelling. Because there'd be ups right. and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And and, and the downs would... would 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 make up for the ups. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, so now I, I well one one of the things I, I've been doing is um, guiltless reading. Not guiltless. Yet. I'm just reading crap. <laughs> 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 this this but, here well, why is Why
0: not? Right.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I don't feel guilty about it. Right. And and I, I don't feel I don't feel that that thing when you're self-employed, you should you should be doing something else.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Ten o'clock at night, you're on the computer sending out emails. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. I you should be doing something else. Yeah. Well. The... And, and now I've I've got I I I I. I spend most of my time reading. Um, and without guilt...
0: I'm playing music, I, I'm guessing.
1: And playing... Uh, twice a month I, I do a Uke UK group. Yeah. And what's what's fascinating about that is that when you are storytelling, you are the only one. Yes. With this group, I'm one of 20.
0: <laughs> no pressure.
1: And if I, if I screw up, nobody knows. Yeah. Except the person standing yes. next to me.
0: Right. And but you're looking at them as if they made the mistake, right? <laughs> what are you doing that for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um,
1: and and um, so it's nice. And I do a... Uh, once a month I do a, a sing-along here. Okay. And only about five or six people come. But uh, those people are dedicated. Right. You know, and uh, um, it's better to have
0: five and six five or six dedicated people than twenty people that yeah, just don't could really care, care less. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Makes it and a, after uh, six or seven years, uh, I don't I don't really care anymore. Right. Uh, I I mean I, I, I care about those people. Right. Because I I do it every month right. religiously. And I I as soon as as uh one one sing along goes by, I set up the date for the next sing along.
0: That's good. What and, kind of songs do you sing?
1: Mm mostly old stuff.
0: Like bring out the barrel and
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Roll out the barrels or um let's see, um Bye bye uh Blackbird. Yeah. You know that one? I do. Um Uh, going back to one of your previous questions, Mm -hmm. um, I was in New Zealand, and this crazy lady, uh, uh, Beth, uh, what's, what's her name? Uh, Liz Miller. Okay. And she, she comes to, to, uh, to Jonesboro every year. Okay. And,
0: uh... I have to look her up, I don't know. Uh, she's wonderful.
1: She's just, uh, she... Anyway, uh... Liz asked me to go to, um, she had a gig and, um, she asked me to do 10 minutes. So I, 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 I did a song that Malvina Reynolds wrote and I said, Malvina Reynolds, have you heard of her? And nobody raised their hand or it was a ladies group. And then I started the song and it was, um, Da 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 da, da da la Rock and rollin', ridin' out along the bay. They knew every word of that song. Wow! It was it was enlightening. It was just amazing. And what it told me was, uh, nobody cares who who the song who who the songwriter was. Uh, they care about the song, yeah. and they knew the song. It was just and and uh, so I, I added. Uh, uh, I wish I I could have added some verses to it. Because uh, it was just exhilarating. Yeah. To have them know the song, right. it was it was just a. Uh, 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 Melvina Reynolds is is, um, I mean she, she's famous for Little Boxes. Uh, Pete Seeger sang Little Boxes. On the hillside, and they're all made out of tiki taki, and they're out, da, 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 da And uh, she did, she did a lot of protest songs.
0: Okay. All right, so um, what what's your favorite breakfast? Where would your favorite place be to eat it, and who would you eat it with?
1: Uh, let's see. <laughs> I, I, I I like omelets. I do too. Omelets mm-hmm. are good. Mm-hmm. With all kinds of stuff in them. Yeah. Uh, um... There's a place called Marcy's over here. Mm-hmm. Portland has become a foodie town, and Marcy's is, is a throw uh, throwback to uh, an earlier time when when uh, diners were. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, it's called Marcy's Diner. I'm not sure. It doesn't look much like a diner, but any any place. Um, and I think that, that uh, since you mentioned her, Jackie Torrance is the person I, I would like to have. Because I would, I would say to her, I was right, wasn't I? <laughs> because with, with, with her, the argument always was, you have to, uh, her side of the argument was, you have to get out there and push yourself. All right. And my, my argument was, you have to have a life.
0: Yeah.
1: You have to have a life. And uh, so, uh, and just uh, when she was, uh, when she had her uh, difficult times, uh, she said, you were right. She did? Yeah, yeah. She oh. said, I, I was trying to support all these people. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, to use one of my expressions, uh, uh, an unfillable hole of need. And, uh, but she was a wonderful storyteller. God, she was terrific. Mm-hmm. She, she could just, uh,
0: her hands
1: were just wonderful. She, uh, I, I was with her, oh, I don't know, it was 10, 20 years ago. At a junior high in Alabama, I forget what the uh, uh, the occasion was, but uh, she uh, absolutely captured these kids. Uh, there must have been a thousand of them. Wow! Uh, and she she just wiggle her fingers and popped them. Yeah.
0: Out. Oh God, it was wonderful. Do you have any passing thoughts or anything else you'd like to share with?
1: Our listeners out there mm-hmm. uh, let's see <laughs> no uh, <laughs> passing thoughts
0: uh. any advice anything at
1: all I'm living now the way I wanted to live for 30 years Wow. for 40 years um, I'm pretty much living the way I wanted to live
0: you're happy yeah that's good
1: yeah I like that yeah yeah and I'm not I'm not pushing anything
0: well Michael thanks very much indeed for, for spending this time with me yeah you're, you're, you're welcome a massive thank you to Michael parent for taking time out of his busy day enjoying life to talk with me I hope you my listeners enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and laughed as hard as Michael and I did. I can't wait to visit him again. Thanks to Ben Schultz, who, as always, provides the music for my podcast. Creating this show is very much a labour of love. To help keep it going, to help create more, maybe help create better, please consider making a donation. You can do this through my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. A couple of dollars a month, a single donation, if you like a particular episode, will all help me reach out further and create more of these conversations. If you can, and I know you can, leave a review on Stitcher or Apple, iTunes, wherever else you find this episode. It helps not just me, but it helps others find this podcast and know what they're getting in for. Please jump on the interwebs and find out more about all of my guests. Follow them, and me if you like. All of the people that I interview are amazing storytellers, which is why I sit down with them. Again, thanks for listening and being here. I hope you join me in the next episode, when the guest will be... Until next time, share one of your favourite stories. Thanks. Bye.